You're listening to Just One of the Guys. Where, yes, Mr. Ferdinand, I do want to. If you're specifically asking about wanting to forget about the Ben Rabe run on this book. I'm gonna make somebody love me. And now I know, now I know, now I know, I know that it's you. You're lucky, lucky, you're so lucky. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Why is this such a special episode? Well, it's not all that special. I'm doing what I do all the time, covering the Green Lantern comics, starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004, and all the while I'm putting a special emphasis on my favorite characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. However, this is a special issue because, well, it's sort of a milestone issue with issue number 175, but also it's a celebratory issue because it's the end of the very painful Ben Rain run on the book. Yes, we're finally finishing up the Wanted storyline in a supersized issue, number 175, where Kyle Rayner finally takes out the Black Circle. Unfortunately... Jenny Lynn Hayden finally takes out the fact that she's an absolute whore. Uh, nothing more has disappointed me about this book than the way Ben Rabe has decided to write that character. And nothing more has made me happy than the fact that this is the last book that I will have to talk about Ben Rabe being on the book. After this, it's all Ron Mars, and I can only imagine it's going to be sunshine and My Little Ponies and happiness. Maybe not so many My Little Ponies. But before we get to the book, we've got the specific promos to play. I'll put some interesting ones in there, as well as a couple of emails from you wonderful listeners. But rather than listen to me ramble some more, let's listen to the end of this wonderful song. Lucky, lucky. You're so lucky. Here at Quarks, customer satisfaction is our primary concern. I'd say we just found our way into a wormhole. I'm Kira Norris. Lieutenant Commander Worf reporting for duty, sir. You're the best crew any captain ever had. 
This may be the last time we're all together. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. For Starfleet, one of our most important posts. It is quite simply, Commander, the journey you have always been destined to take. Sensors are not functioning. We've lost all contact with the space station. What the hell is happening out there? Shields up. Damage report. Battle stations. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine Two True Freaks presentation with Sean Engel and Andrew Lay. And now with 100% more Paul Spataro. Tangent, an abrupt change of course. Tangent go off suddenly in another direction or on a different line of thought. Tangent, a comic event featuring brand new characters with very familiar names. I'm waking up to ash and dust. I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust. I'm breathing in the chemicals. Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Find it bi-weekly on iTunes and at greatcrypton.com. In the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who, I don't care for anime, I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I've been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is. A crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromalongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help. 
You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com And we're back. So, let's go ahead and jump right into my favorite part of the show. Well, favorite part of Aside from the fact that I'm not going to have to read anymore, Ben Rabe. Yay! Listener feedback. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> and this time out, we've got an email from my good friend, Luke Giaconetti, host of Earth Destruction Directive and co-host of the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, both of which can be found over at Two True Freaks. Go give them a check out. Luke writes in with GL171, pay. The cover was nice, at least, which I think is the most glowing thing you can say about some of the issues of Ben Rabe's run. Luke writes in saying, Sean, on episode 171, were you actively trying to match a song with the quality of the comic? Because that was a bad song. But yeah, this is a bad comic. I'm not even sure where to begin with this. Well, I know... You may not be a fan of Jonathan Colton. He is kind of an acquired taste, but I actually like that song. Uh, it's from the Portal 2 soundtrack, like I said, so I guess we'll just have to respectively or respectfully dis disagree. Luke continues on saying, So instead, I will focus on the cover artist, Kieran Grant. I was first introduced to Grant's work in Iron Man Volume 3 in 2001. He did some of the art when Frank Thierry was handling the writing chores on the book, and he had a style which was more akin to graffiti than what we normally had on Iron Man. I thought his style was visually very unique, but not a good fit for Iron Man. His Green Lantern covers are cleaner looking than his Iron Man work, but still look really dynamic and energetic. Yeah, I looked at some of the covers that you linked to me from Mike's Amazing World of Comics, and yeah, not the best fit for Iron Man. I think Iron Man has a more... Um, it, it doesn't have a stylized. It needs to be more formal. It needs to have a sort of clean line. It needs to look more mechanical. Kieran's art seems to be more abstract, and I think it works best for, or works better for a Green Lantern book where it's a sort of artist rendering. It's very colorful, and the lines are very abstract, for lack of a better word. But Luke continues saying, uh, When I met Grant last year at Heroes Con, I told him that I thought his art would look great on a title like Power Man and Iron Fist. His response? From your mouth to Marvel's ears. He also says the other odd thing that I found about this issue was Peter Tomasi as editor. I'm much more familiar with Tomasi as a writer than an editor. But looking on Mike's Amazing World, it looks like he's got a lot more credits as an editor than as a writer. Goes to show you can never tell. 
I know a lot of folks get down on creators who move from being editors to writers, but in Tomasi's case, I have generally dug his work. And I have to agree with you, the limited amount of work that I've read from Peter Tomasi comes from around the Blackest Night era of Green Lantern, where he was writing Green Lantern Corps, and I thought he gave a really good voice to both Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner in that book. I like the sort of buddy cop ideal that he had set up between them, which I think was probably more developed by Dave Gibbons earlier in that run. But uh, yeah, that was a really fun read, and I don't doubt that Tomasi is as good an editor as he is a writer. I know he's working currently on some of the uh, DC comics right now as an editor, so there you go. Anyhow, Luke finishes up saying, anyway, hope things start looking up next time out, because this one, yeah. Thanks, Luke. And yes, things are looking up, Luke, because, as I said before, the Ben Ray run is ending today. Thankfully, no more Ben Rabe. <sighs> Just kind of basking in that. I think, you know, even though I'm having to cover this issue, I'm feeling good about it because this is it. No more Ben Rabe. So... Let's go ahead and close up the email bag. Thank you, Luke, for writing in. If you'd like to write in, of course, the email address is just one of the guys podcasts at gmail.com. Love to read your email on the next show. But for now, it's time to do the final issue. Yes, of Ben Rabe's run. Green Lantern number 175 was cover dated May 2004 and released on May on March 31st of 2004. The cover price was three fifty in the U.S. and five twenty five in Canada. Double size issue. The title was Wanted Part Five. The writer was Benjamin Rob, Rabe, whatever. I don't care anymore. Penciler this time out was Andy Smith. The inker was Rodney Ramos. Colorist was Moose Bowman. Letterer Rob Lee. Associate editor Stephen Wacker. The editor was Peter Tomasi, and the cover art was by Mark Sparacio. Standing before Almansur with Thundar's blazing sunsword held high, Green Lantern Kyle Rayner prepares to take the life of the Black Circle Superior. Amon says Kyle doesn't have the stones to kill him, and Kyle retorts with a Yo Mama joke. No, that doesn't happen. Kyle says that he should ask Izar the Zakaran about his propensity for killing, and Amon tells him that he knows of Izar's imprisonment rather than death, distracting him long enough for Nakamura slash Karina to get her laser whip wrapped around Kyle's throat once again. Kyle admits his deceit and asks Amon why he's happy of being a puppet of the Quardians. The son of the former Lantern says that he's happy to work with the enemies of the Green Lanterns, especially if the end result is the destruction of the planet Oa. Meanwhile, on said planet, Ganthet, the Toddler Guardians, and part-time stripper Liana are using all of their energy to destroy the quantum singularity that was just fired at their son. Their combined forces eventually destroy the blind, but Liana warns that it was just the first of many attacks that they will have to repel. Back on the flagship, Amon monologues about Kyle's stupid decision to disguise himself as Sam and Shadowhawk, and how it left his ring charge at a bare minimum. Acting on that fact, Amon plunges the sunsword through Kyle's back, only to find that Kyle had cleverly, or perhaps conveniently, used his ring to disguise that not Gamora slash Karina was himself. Miffed by the fact that he just brutally murdered his most trustworthy and hot associate, Amon heads out to truly take down the last Green Lantern. But his plans might have gotten a little more difficult to accomplish as Kyle has slipped away, 
and retrieved his power battery and begins to recharge his ring. Elsewhere, Benai Boon and some Black Circle goons are carrying the acid-burned Shalana Thane to a nearby airlock to dispose of her still-alive body. Shalana asks why Benai betrayed them, and she tells them of the threat that the Black Circle made on her and her son's lives. Placing the former lantern in the airlock, Benai starts the depressurization sequence and heads out to deal with the rest of the lanterns. Unfortunately for her, Shalanda has Houdini-level escape skills and snaps the traitor's neck and prepares to do even worse to the Black Circle guards. On the bridge, Kilowog, Ramos, and Foz have a confab about how to stop the quantum singularity generator. The Cordians offer to stop the onslaught, provided they offer up the comp- their complete surrender. Kilowog says no dice, and the Cordians decide to test the Bolivaxian skills at repair as they smash the remaining control device. Dear Oa, the Guardians are doing their best to keep the Singularities at bay, with diminishing returns. Reluctantly, Ganthet sends Stripper Liana on a mission to end this all, a mission that might just destroy the one thing that Ganthet never wanted to. Over with Kilowog, the alien engineer is trying his best to repair the control device, to no avail. He contacts Kyle and says that since he's the only one here with a power ring, he needs to stop the Quantum Singularity Generator. Taking out the Black Circle Guard sent to capture him, Kyle races into space while Shalandra cleans up the corpses of Benai and her cohorts. Kyle gets the message that the QSG is once again ready to fire and rings up a construct bendy straw to redirect the blast right back at the ship, blowing it up real good. Unfortunately, the destruction of the QSG ship unleashed an entropic energy causing a supermassive black hole bump. Oh, sorry. Muse to start to form. Kyle radios Kilowog to get to the escape pods, which seems a little stupid because we saw how poorly escape pods did against a gravitational force a few issues ago, while Shalandra and the rescued sex slaves prepared to do the same. As the pods rocket away, Kyle heads after the one that Amon Sur got away in. As Kyle enters the pod, Amon blasts a bolt from his sun sword at him, which Kyle deflects back at him with a construct shield. Kyle wraps up Amon in a mummy-like construct and forces him to recite the oath as punishment. But in a strange twist of events, it is Kyle who gets punished. By having the sun sword rammed through his chest by the recently arrived strippogram delivered by Liana. Rising as the construct confinements dissipate, Amon thanks Liana for finishing his job for him, but the chesty guardian didn't come here to help Amon. She came here to kill him and bring order to the universe. After zapping Amon into a cloud of green smoke, Diana tries to comfort Kyle, telling him that this was his destiny. She then teleports away, setting the ship's self-destruct mechanism as she leaves. But Kyle has other plans than accepting his destiny, and does... something with his ring? I don't know. Switch to Terry and David's apartment, where the duo is hosting a boy dance party, celebrating Terry's move to Los Angeles. Terry's still bummed about the reaction of his parents and the fact that he doesn't know half the people that is sent off, but David suggests a liberal amount of mojitos will help with that concern. Terry heads off to the kitchen to do just that, while David answers the door for a fashionably late partier. Surprisingly, this partygoer is none other than Terry's mother, Tracy, who wants to make amends with her son and let him know that she loves both him and David alike. Touched by the revelation, David tells Tracy not to move and he'll go get a certain-to-be-surprised Terry. But, entering the kitchen, it's David who's surprised. 
as he sees Terry with a green lantern ring glowing on his hand. Green Lantern number 175 is kind of a banner issue. First, for being a minor milestone of reaching 175 issues, so that's why the synopsis was a bit longer. It also wraps up the Ben Ray run in the book, which is a milestone of lesser importance, but greater joy to me. Over the past few episodes, I've really been annoyed at the writing in the book, especially with the character of Jenny. Also, the Black Circle story wasn't really holding my attention as well as the other arcs, the Power of Ion storyline, Emerald Knights, and even the opening story of this volume, Green Lantern, with Hal on uh, Oa reuniting the core. So, I was ready to chalk up this final issue as being kind of a letdown. And to be honest, I was slightly mistaken. No, it's not a satisfying conclusion by any stretch of the imagination, but it did resolve some of the story elements from the beginning of Rob's run, and it gave a resolution to Terry and his parents, or at least his mom. I'm pretty certain the exclusion of Jenny from this book helped in my acceptance of the book, but in the end I feel that the sorting was something of a very scorched earth way to end the Green Lantern series and diminish Kyle as Green Lantern. The ending feels very fatalistic, with Terry getting the ring and the image of the end, but a blurb on the page saying, Next, Kyle returns. Did they have Jeff John's rebirth story ready to go and thought this would be a good out for Kyle? I'm not really certain. Anyhow, this is an average and somewhat confusing wrap-up to an otherwise frustrating and sometimes downright annoying run. As Thomas DJ so eloquently said, Go away, Ben Rabe. Go away. And with that over with, let's go through specifics. Let's start with the cover. Uh, Mark Sparacio, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm going to say Sparacio, has seemed to have done very little work according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. But in all honesty, this is a pretty good image of Kyle. And probably the best he's looked in this costume on the cover, especially in recent. Uh, he looks very, it looks very realistic as compared to what Kieran Grant was done drawing him prior to this. Uh, and actually, I think Sparacio actually makes these sort of leather strap boots kind of work for the character. So good on him for drawing a good cover image. Moving into the book on page one. Andy Smith has done a few jobs for Green Lantern, and most notably, he was penciling the issue of Green Lantern number 61. That was the issue where Donna and Kyle go to have a picnic on Mars and meet up and fight with Calabac for the first time. I remember at the time not really being too into his art, but overall, he's greatly improved. The art throughout this story is really exceptional. Well, I won't go so far as saying exceptional, but compared to what we've had before, even with Jamal Eichel's stuff, it's really good. So, Andy Smith did a good job ending out this run of Ben Rabe's book. Page 3, the setup for this doesn't make any sense. Supposedly, Karina has Kyle lassoed with her laser whip, and Kyle is down on his knees, getting ready to be impaled by Amon Sur and his blazing sunsword. 
when does Cal do the switcheroo to make her be down on the floor being lashed by the whip instead of him? Is this a misdirection that's done from the very beginning? When does he swap out? Again, it seems like sort of deus ex machina bad writing that just places one character in another place without saying how they got there. Pages four through six, as we look at the Guardians trying to defend Oda, I have a hard time believing that they, who are supposed to be more powerful than the Green Lantern Corps, allegedly, can't handle this when Kyle was able to do one on his own. I mean, they are the source of the Emerald Energy, essentially. They have direct pathways or contacts to it. Why wouldn't they be able to defend the planet against these entropy balls? It doesn't make any sense. Maybe you could no-prize it to say that because the Guardians are youthful and not as experienced, they don't know how to handle it. But don't you think Ganthet could direct them in the proper way of doing it? Still. Seems like bad storytelling. Page 7. Uh, I guess in the final issue, hopefully, that Liana will be ever featured in, Andy Smith does what every other artist should have done with her and put her in high-heeled pumps, cementing her image as a strip club dancer. I, I think he even modified the costume, what there is of it, making the briefs just a metal piece that runs between her legs and forms a metallic diamond above her ass crack. Wait, no, I, th I think I was talking about that. Jamal Igle did that in the last issue, so he's just following up from Jamal Igle's design. But still, it's re goddamn ridiculous. I wish I had never been introduced to the character of Liana, and I hope we never have to deal with her again. Page 9 is Amon Sur plunges the sword through supposedly Kyle, and we find out that it was actually not Gamora down there, or Karina supposed to be down there. Kyle says that he was masquerading as her. So was he actually the real not Gamora who got whipped by fake not Gamora? But when did the fake restart? Did Kyle, as fake not Gamora, make not Gamora attack Amon with a sun sword? At the beginning of the it, this, it makes no sense. This is poor writing on Ben Rabe's part, and I just can't wrap my head around how this happened. It's silly deus ex machina. Page 11, I commented on how much I liked Andy Smith's art, but there are a few wonky bits here. Here on page 11, as Kyle's recharging his rings, he looks way too beefy, and his shoulders look a too hunched forward. He looks like he's flexing his delts, I guess, maybe? I don't know. It's just a weird pose. Then moving on to page 13, and this is for you, Luke Giaconetti. Obviously, Shalandra studied with Santa Claus from Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, because that's the only conceivable way that I think she could have escaped from an airlock. Thankfully, you know, Santa Claus didn't snap the neck of one of the Martians who was trying to imprison him, but maybe he should have, because that would have been awesome. But then after she snacks, snaps Benai's neck, Shalandra looks really pretty badass. I mean, Annie Smith does a good job of drawing her. She Her anatomy's not that egregious. But I'm kind of wondering, is this the same Shalandra that we saw in that Green Lantern core quarterly story? 
I didn't see her as that much of a renegade fighter. I thought she was more wanting the war to stop. So as a turn, once again, the writing probably doesn't fit who the character is. Again, putting it all on Ben Rabe. And then, once again, I don't get this. On page 17, we get Ganthet telling Liana to go do what she needs to do. Did Ganthet actually tell Liana to go and kill Kyle to keep cosmic balance in the universe? Why? Kyle was trying to save the planet. Why would she... It, again, it makes no sense logically in the story, and it irritates me to no end that I'm having to read and talk about this. Mm, ben Rabe. Mm. Page 20, we get an image of Shalandra blasting Benai and the Korean guards that she killed out of the airlock. Why they did that is, I guess, just to show that she's badass or possibly just to fill up a couple of more pages. Once again, probably because Ben Rabe didn't have any interesting story elements to put in here. So thankfully it wasn't a uh, scene with Jenny and Hottie McEmerald fever, you know, doing it on the sofa. So I guess I can be thankful for that. Page 21, Kyle's solution to destroy the quantum singularity generator was to make a giant tube and fire the ball that was fired from the ship directly back at it, destroying it. I guess that works. Unless it were to do something silly like on, oh, page 24, create a massive black hole that will destroy the ship that Amon Sur is on and kill all of his friends. So... Didn't really think all that out too too well, did you? Page 27. Okay, I praised the quote-unquote comic book science a few issues back when that ship that was trapped in the sun's gravitational field launched escape pods, and those pods were essentially doomed because they didn't have enough mass and propulsion to overcome the gravity. If that's the case, and Ben Rabe wrote that story, why doesn't the same thing happen here? Kilowog and Amonsur and Benai, or not Benai, Shalandra, are launching escape pods out of this larger ship, escape pods which are smaller and supposedly have less propulsion. Shouldn't they be easily pulled into the gravitational field of this black hole? Yes, they should. Ben Rabe is not a good writer. Page 30. As Kyle enters the escape pod where Amon Sur is, Amon pulls the sun sword and now suddenly it can shoot energy blasts. I, I, I'm just getting the feeling that Rabe doesn't really give a shit anymore and he just wants to end this story. It's embarrassing. Page 32, I'm still completely confused as to why Leanna had to kill Kyle, especially when she kills Amon on the next page. Isn't Kyle their champion? Isn't Kyle the last Green Lantern? I mean, yes, now there's or there's John back on Earth, but Kyle is supposed to be... Again, makes no sense. And again, making no sense, on page 33, as Liana is killing him or vaporizing him or teleporting him, whatever the heck she's doing to Amon Sur... 
he's calling out for his father to save him. I thought the entire motivation of Amon Sura was his hatred towards his father and his hatred towards the Green Lantern Corps because the fact that he wasn't able to become a Green Lantern, he hated his father so much. Why in the end is it Ben Rabe, you're awful at this story? Page 34, maybe this was supposed to be the ending for Kyle, allowing Hal to come back in Rebirth. But if so, it does betray the opening part of Rebirth with Kyle coming to Earth to warn of Parallax. Kyle dying in this story makes no sense, and I'm hoping that there's something going to happen in the Ron Mars run, which will explain this and why this happened. I'm not certain if it will, but again, it seems that Ben Rabe just does not give a sh- Then on page 35, we get a nice explosion with Kyle saying, screw destiny, and I guess that's the end of Kyle. Maybe, because we see what happens at the end. Page 37, it's kind of a sudden and ham-fisted way to reconcile Terry with his parents, or at least with his mother. In the second issue of the hate crime story, David and Terry's parents were sitting bedside together, and it felt like there was at least some sort of acceptance there. Again, I think it's just this. Ben Rabe, a sh**. He's not giving one. Then the final page of the book, we've got this splash page of Terry with the ring on his finger and the energy glowing all around it. But the bottom caption says, next time, Cow returns. Was it Rabe's idea to make Terry the next Green Lantern? One that is more unwarranted than Cow getting the ring and to f- Ben Rabe. I guess I am more upset by this book than I thought I was. Sorry, folks. Maybe taking a look at the ads this time all will make me happy. Uh, starting with the inside cover, we've got an advertisement for the Wicked Winter Sweepstakes again. I guess this one is being sponsored by Magic the Gathering Trading Cards. I'm trying to remember, what was it last time? Was it was it the Alienware, I think, last time for Wicked Winter? No idea. Then after that, we get an advertisement for a PlayStation 2 game called Xenosaga. I haven't heard of it, but my daughter is all into this game called Xenoblade Chronicles. I don't know what it's about. It looks like it might be a sort of mech-type game. Never heard of it. A few more pages in, we get the uh, Juicy Fruit ads for the GMO-modified Graper Melon and Strappleberry gum. Weird-looking stuff. The Sydney Bristow alias game, where I guess you can dress up Jennifer Garner in slutty clothes. Is that part of what the alias show was all about? That's disappointing. I guess we get an advertisement for the new expansion pack for Magic the Gathering. Or this is, I guess, Magic the Gathering Art Online. It's got a giant hammer trying to break a bunch of Magic the Gathering cards called Dark Steel. Are they indestructible? I guess they are. If they smash the hammer like that, Ronan would be upset. Another two-page splash for uh, The Truth, which is the anti-smoking thing. Uh, it says here, in 1999, one year after agreeing to stop billboard advertising, tobacco companies increased advertising by spending 33% in magazines with significant youth readership. 
Yeah, I remember all those comic books with uh, smoke ads in them. Yeah, that was really odd. Thanks, Truth. I never would have figured out anything on my own without you. Surprisingly, there's not all that many ads in this book, which is kind of nice. Uh, get an advertisement for the PlayStation 2 game Firefighter FD-17, which I guess is sort of a first-person shooter fire elimination game where you go around and try and put out fires rather than shooting them up. Looks kind of interesting. It's a nice nice switch on the uh, first-person shooter type games. Get an advertisement for The Verb, which is basically sort of like uh, that PSA to get kids up and moving. It's got some skateboarder person doing skateboardy things. Thankfully, it's not Bill Burnquist skating over the poltergeist city, so that's good. Uh, get an advertisement for that says, Hey teens, we want to hear from you. It's for three different Sony PlayStation 2 games, Rayman 3, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, and Batman Rise of Sin Tzu. I guess... Uh, it says, hook DC Comics up with 411, and you and your friends will receive a chance to win an awesome Ubisoft prize package. Now, I've heard good things about Rayman and Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Haven't heard all that much about Batman Sanzu, but they've been advertising the heck out of it in the past couple of issues. There's no letter pages at the end of the book. However, there is a memorial for Julius Schwartz, who I guess passed away recently. Uh, it's, it's a nice... I'm assuming it was probably written by Dan DiDio, but it uh, tells about Julius Schwartz and his, uh, basically what he did for DC Comics. He essentially entered the DC Comics series into the Silver Age, revamped a bunch of the Golden Age characters, specifically the Flash and Green Lantern, and with the showcase books, uh, brought forth a lot of characters that are still being published today. In fact, were it not for Julius Schwartz, I don't think Green Lantern would have been the character that we know him as today. So it's sad to hear that Julius Schwartz passed away, and it's a nice memoriam here in the back of the book. The final inside cover ad for the book is Dragon Ball GT trading card game Baby Saga. I guess Dragon Ball Babies, okay. And then after that, we get uh, an advertisement uh, once again for WrestleMania 20. And I'm trying. I have no idea who these people are. They, this time out, they've got images of the wrestlers who are on there. Once again, Luke Giaconetti and Jason Giaconetti would probably be able to school me on who all these guys are. I wasn't following WrestleMania at the time. But that does it. <laughs> It, it feels like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders as now I don't have to talk about Ben Rabe anymore. And next time out, yes, Ron Mars is back on the book and he's going to be writing the last six issues of Green Lantern and telling the story that hopefully will wash the bad taste of Ben Rabe out of my memory, if that's even an apt metaphor. Regardless, come back in seven days when I and hopefully a very special guest host will start to talk about the wonderful return of Ron Mars to the Green Lantern books. I'm certain the episode will completely punch reality. See you in seven days, folks. And go away, Ben Rave. Go away.
You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Inkle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well. And now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonza Core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was Franz Ferdinand and their song, Do You Want To? Off the album, you could have had it so much better. Franz Ferdinand is one of those bands from the 1990s that unfortunately gets generically lumped in with a lot of sort of generic pop rock bands of the alternative style of that time. But I really enjoy most of their output, and I hope you would enjoy it as well. If you'd like to enjoy if you enjoy it as much as I do, maybe you'll go to purchase it. Perhaps you'll go to a website like Amazon.com to buy the MP3 download or even buy the CD of the album. However, if you do decide to go to Amazon.com, I would ask first that you go to TwoTrueFreaks.com. When you go to TwoTrueFreaks.com and click on the Amazon banner on the upper left-hand corner of the webpage, it'll direct you directly to Amazon, which is, once again, redundant, where you can buy the CD, buy the MP3, or buy a myriad number of other things Franz Ferdinand-related. Probably not anything having to do with the Archduke of Austria, but probably the band. And all of these things can be obtained for ridiculously low prices, except for the Archduke of Austria. He's he's dead. But if you plan on buying something from Amazon.com through the link at TutureFreaks.com, a small amount of your purchase price goes back to the TutureFreaks website. You don't see any extra money taken out of your account, but what Amazon does for advertising for them they give us a little bonus. So, whenever you're thinking of buying music, movies, games, DVDs, or whatever else from Amazon.com, please use the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. <laughs>